for being here. We are glad that you are here. We're talking about baby names. That's the series that we're in right now. Isaiah chapter nine and verse six is where I would ask that you'd go ahead and join with me. We're going to be going there in just a few minutes. Now, when we talk about babies, have you been around a young couple when they were about to have their first baby? It's just all excitement, isn't it? Excitement. There's, they're talking about names. They're having to go through lists. They're going through lists like ABC. They did their, they posted their, um, the top names for boys and top names for girls for 2011. I don't know if you've seen this list, but let me just give you the top five names for boys this year. 2011 starts off with number five, Jacob. Number four, Liam. Number three, Mason. Number two, Jackson. And number one, what is it? Aiden. Aiden is the top boy's name for 2011. Now, let's go with the girls. All right, the top five. Ava. Number four, Olivia. Number three, Isabella. Number two, Emma. And you ready for number one? Number one is Sophia. Sophia. So if you've been around babies, you know that it's an exciting time, especially for the young, young parents. This is their first baby. They're, they're excited because now they have baby showers. They're getting to register for all the, the great things at Target and Walmart. And you see the dad usually go over into the barbecue section. And he's trying to find something special for his baby boy, just in case somebody wants to give him something, right? So they're, they're registering for all kinds of things because usually when a baby comes, there's gifts, lots of gifts. Now, I was reading this past week about the wise men and somebody was saying how that if the wise men were really wise women, things would have been quite a, quite a bit different. Did you hear this? They said if, if, they would have, if the wise men would have been a wise women, then number one, they would have stopped and asked for directions. Two, they would have showed up on time. They would have cleaned the entire stable. They would bake the casserole and they would have brought practical gifts. When the baby's cold and shivering, you don't bring in gold. That's just how it works. You need to bring a blanket. You need to bring something extra. And so Christmas, it's about gifts. We see a lot of gifts and we're hearing a lot of different things. Now, Isaiah chapter nine, hopefully you've got enough time. You've over there with me. Isaiah chapter nine, we started last week. Isaiah is a prophet. Matter of fact, he's called, uh, this book is called one of the major prophets because it's so big. It's not because Isaiah was so cool. It was because this is such a big book in the Bible. Isaiah prophesies over 2,500 years ago that there would be a baby born. If you remember with me last week, we talked about this baby being born, that when this baby comes onto the world scene, there would be something dramatically different. All the world would take notice. The world would notice that there's something different and it would change the course of history. We all look back to this moment, to this time in which a baby was born. Not only is this just a simple baby, but Isaiah tells us there's something very unique about this baby, that when this baby comes on the scene, he's not going to be just an ordinary baby. He will be one in which that will take a throne and all the governments and all the kingdoms would look to this one baby because he would be the baby to rule all babies. He would be the king to rule all kings. This is the great king. And so now we started talking about when a king would take and set upon the throne, he would be given throne names. Those throne names were specific names that told you just a little bit more about the character, about who this is that sets upon the throne. And last week we talked about Jesus being what? The wonderful counselor. The amazing, the mind-blowing, the extraordinary 
the above anything we've ever known before, the wonderful, amazing counselor who knows all, who sees all. And now we get to hear another phrase, another, another title. Are you ready? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Here's what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The title we're looking at today is Mighty God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful for this day and I'm thankful for the opportunity to go to be with this group of people to be able to worship your name. And Father, I pray that the songs that we've just sung were truly worship to your ears. Father, I pray now that your presence and your spirit would have freedom to move in and amongst us. God, I pray that we would clearly see Jesus as the mighty God today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So thank you, you may be seated. Let's get started. So here we go. We have Jesus as the mighty God. Now, in order for us to start today, we have to talk about what it is to be Jesus as a God. Now, it's a hard place to start because we all come into this place very different. We come into this place, some come in, not really for sure if they believe that there is a God. Is there a possibility that there is a God? Maybe not. I'm not really for sure. I don't know if I really believe in God at all. If I do believe in God. Well, I'm not even for sure if this God could actually interact in human history. What about this God? Maybe he's just, he started everything, but now he sets back and he just oversees and he just looks, but he doesn't really actually touch this world. Matter of fact, they say now more than ever before, atheists are coming to church. Why? One, they want to make sure that their kids are having a, a true authentic intellectual environment where they hear all sides too. They also, these atheist parents, do you know why they're coming? Because they want to engage their kids with other kids. Christmas time, more than any other time of the year, people will come into church and maybe for you, some of you are sitting in this room and you haven't been to church since last Christmas. So you're not really for sure how much of God you really believe in. Yes, he's a good thing. He's a good thought. Maybe you really believe that this, to believe in God, you know, that's more about religion. And I'm not really for sure I'm all for religion. And so you come into this place and you're not really sure where to even start when we say God. So we could talk through today. We could go through arguments on how there has to be a God because universally all tribes, all people everywhere have always come back to there has to be a supreme being. There hasn't been one tribe, one secluded people that have ever found, that they have ever found that have believed, not believed in a higher power. Romans 1, chapter 1 tells us, Paul tells us that it's written on the heart of everybody. Isn't that amazing? That there's a God. So we could start there. We could talk about that. We could talk about how there has to be a greater cause, a first cause. We could talk and walk through saying, you know, argument out of uh, design, that Chaos can never create order. So you can't take lumber, bricks, nails, and throw them into a big pile and expect a house just to appear. Some greater cause 
has to originate and has to create and create order. So chaos never creates order. We could go through that. But here's where I want to go today. I'm going to assume that you've at least come into this place and you understand that there's the potential for God. That he does exist and that you're not really for sure. Maybe you come into this place and you're not really for sure who he is, but you at least came into this place understanding that there's at least a God. For many of us, we actually have trusted Jesus Christ and we do believe and that's why we're here. We worship a God who is greater than ourselves. So here's what I want to do today. I wanna make sure that we understand that this baby who came, this prophecy that we have seen is actually Jesus Christ and he is God. I want to make sure that you walk out of here knowing that this baby, this Jesus is not just an ordinary baby, but he is truly God himself. You see, Jesus started as being born of a virgin. Isaiah two chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14 says that God would give a sign to people. And in this sign, he would give this sign. He says, a virgin is going to conceive and this child will be called what? Do you remember? Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah says that this child who's going to be born. Yes, he's going to ascend and he will be God. He will be the mighty God. He is going to be something supernaturally different. Matthew and Luke both record for us the birth of this baby, the extraordinary, abnormal, weird birth. A little teenage girl named Mary is visited by an angel and the angel says, You've been chosen. I can't imagine that, can you? Been chosen? Been chosen for what? Uh, God's gonna actually come into your womb and you're gonna give birth to God. What? Yeah, God's actually gonna come from the heavens and he's gonna come and become human. And he's gonna walk amongst, and it's gonna be through you, Mary. And Mary just simply says what? Do you remember? I'm your servant whatever you need, God. So for nine months, she now carries a child, never knowing a man. And Jesus is born on this this day in which we're celebrating as Christmas. Now, for some of us, that seems miraculous. That seems like that's a lot, but maybe you're not totally convinced. I mean, it's only happened once in history where a virgin conceived, but maybe you're not completely convinced. So let me do this. What if this Jesus, when he was born, actually lived differently than you and me? What if he not only was human, but he is 100% God. What if he actually was completely different? Let me show you Hebrews. Would you turn your Bibles over to Hebrews? Turn over to Hebrews chapter four. Here's what you're gonna find in just a few moments. You're gonna find that this Jesus, as he lived and as he grew and as he became a man, he never sinned. Matter of fact, people that walked with Jesus, John, you remember him? John, one of the disciples? John, in his book, 1 John 3 and verse five says, in him was no sin. Peter, you remember Peter? The guy who always stuck his foot in his mouth? That crazy apostle who jumped out of the boat and tried to walk on water? Peter, In his book, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 said, in him was no sin. Jesus himself, 
Ready for this? Jesus said, as a full grown man, I always do what my father says. Now, I have kids. Anybody of you who have kids, you're just happy if your kids obey one out of 10 times, right? And here's Jesus as a full grown man said, I've always done and I will always do what my father in heaven has asked of me. It's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? Matter of fact, Herod, when Jesus was on trial, or Pilate, when Jesus was on trial, what did Pilate say? I can't find any fault in this guy. Hebrews, Hebrews was written to the Jews. It was written to help them understand how their old customs could actually be translated and how Jesus came to fulfill those customs. Go down to Hebrews chapter four, go all the way down to verse 14. Here's what it says. See, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. He started in the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. But watch this, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Let's be honest, we have weakness, don't we? We have frailty, we have pain, we have suffering. And here he says, he's walked through it, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are. You see, the beautiful thing about God coming to be here on earth this Jesus is that he actually knows what you're going through. He's felt your betrayal. He's felt your pain. He's even been tempted. You remember Satan came and tried to tempt Jesus? Power, wealth, lust, greed. He's been tempted and look what it says. Do you see it? Yet what? Without sin. This Jesus came, virgin born, but yet he's never sinned. Okay, for some of you, you're still not convinced. Some of you are still saying, okay, well, that's, that's pretty good, but he was a good guy. We knew that. Jesus is a good guy, so he had this crazy birth. He's, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher, moral. That's great. One more thing, let me show you. If this is a really a, a big conspiracy, at some point, a full-grown man would say, you know what, I don't know if I can fully keep lying to everybody and say I'm not God. So let's see what Jesus says about himself. Does that sound good? Let's check out what Jesus says. Are you ready? Go over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 58. That's where we're going to go. I'm going to give you a few more verses because Jesus said it in several different times in several different ways. John 8 and verse 58. Stay right there if you would. In Mark chapter two, Jesus is talking to a group of people and he comes upon a a paralytic man, a man who cannot walk. And when Jesus comes up upon him, he actually says, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious group said, wait a minute, time out. Foul, you can't say your sins are forgiven. You're not God. Only God can say your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus backs up and he says, okay, guys, you, you guys are pretty funny. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say you're healed. Now, can you do either one of those? If you come across a person who cannot walk, can you say, get up, you're okay? I have no power like that. (laughs) It's impossible, right? Here's Jesus. He says, okay, just to prove to you, just to show you that not only can I forgive sins because I am God, but I'll also heal the man. So he looks at the paralytic and he says, hey, go ahead and get up. And why don't you just take your bed and go on home? through everybody in an uproar. Oh my goodness, what's going on here? Jesus and John 
chapter eight. He's having a conversation. He's having a conversation with people. And in John chapter eight, the religious leaders again are talking to Jesus and they're saying, are you sure you're, you're really God? You can't really say that you're God. And Jesus actually says, okay, let me just help you out. Abraham, the person that you think is, you know, the I Ching, the Godfather, the main guy that you look to because he started your race. Look what Jesus says. Go all the way down to verse 58. <laughs> Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, maybe your Bibles are in red. This is Jesus speaking. Before Abraham was, what? I am. This is blowing their minds. They're going, wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you're older than Abraham, that you were before Abraham. You can't say that. You only can say that if you are who? God. That's the only way you can say that you are God. Now, he says, I am. Now, just to help you out, there's only one being that could ever be called I am. Who was that? It was God. All the way back to Moses and the fiery bush and the burning bush. Moses is speaking and he says, okay, God, so you want me to go back to Pharaoh and you want me to get, start talking to him? You want me to release the people and tell Pharaoh, who am I supposed to tell everybody that sent me a fiery bush? I don't think they're going to believe it. And God says, tell them I am sent you. So Jesus just says, not only did I exist before Abraham and John tells us in his book, John chapter one, what? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? Was God. Jesus is now saying, I am God. I am the one that you've been worshiping. I am the one who called Abraham out. I am. Now, in our Western mindset, our American mindset, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but look how they respond. Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because this man just claim to be God. And that's blasphemy. And if you claim to be God, you put yourself equal with God, you deserve the penalty of death. So they all get upset. They're all ready to throw stones at him. And what does Jesus do? But Jesus hid himself. Somehow Jesus just kind of disappears and goes through the crowd. Because who? Who is he? He's God. This is not a conspiracy. And I want you to see today that this Jesus that we're worshiping is God himself. This is not a joke. This is not a big practical joke. This is God himself. Now, if you're looking for a conspiracy at Christmas time, here's one. You ready? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. That's a conspiracy. It's such a big conspiracy. You ready for this? That any good hunter knows, any good hunter knows that male Reindeer lose their antlers in the winter. So Rudolph, although a boy's name, Rudolph would have to be a female deer. Ready for this? It gets worse. The conspiracy thickens. He was invented. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer was invented in 1939 by Montgomery Ward as an advertisement to lure customers into their store. Hello. Okay, it's going to get worse. I'm, hold on to your seats. Rudolph's not his first name. His name was Rolo the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
Rolo. That just doesn't even work. Rolo the red-nosed reindeer. Now, it's going to get a little worse. So Robert Mays decided to write a song about Rolo the red-nosed reindeer. So as he's trying to write the song, Rolo just doesn't work. So he has to put in a new word, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. And Gene Autry got in on the conspiracy and he recorded the song for the first time in 1939. And ever since then, we've been duped. <laughs> conspiracy. Okay, conspiracy. Now, Jesus, the son of God, who actually came not as just the son of God, but as God himself is not a conspiracy. It's backed up over and over and over again in scripture that this Jesus, this one that we worship, is the Emmanuel, the God who came to live amongst us so that he could redeem us and buy us back because we have been held hostage by sin and we deserve death as our penalty. And this Jesus came as God himself to redeem us, to free us from that. Isn't that amazing? Now, we still have another word, don't we? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, doesn't just say he's God. It says that he's what? The mighty God, the strong God, the one who far exceeds any other gods, the mighty God, the strong one. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, I love this. God just enjoys showing off. Just showing how powerful he is, just to show that there's no other gods like him. There's no other gods like Jehovah. There's no other gods like Jehovah. There's no other gods like him. He is the great, the only, the one true living God. So here's what he does. All throughout scriptures, what you'll find is this, that God just shows up in weak people, ordinary people, normal people. And he just says, I just want to show you what I can do. He chose Israel, not because they were so strong, but why? because they were so weak. And he says, I just want to show the world what I can do because I'm God. He takes a guy named Elijah. Do you remember this? And he actually says, Elijah, I'm just going to keep working through you and I'm just going to keep working through you. So one day, Elijah and several hundred prophets of Baal were out on the playground playing and, and they began to have that battle. My dad's bigger than your dad, but it was my God's bigger than your God. And they're going back and forth. And Elijah says, hey, let's just get it settled once for all. God is the one that's the true God. Baal is not. And they said, okay, let's do it. So they began to have this little competition. What do they do? They create two altars, one for Baal, one for God. And so Elijah, just being a nice guy, he says, okay, I'll let you guys go first. Go ahead. So they start praying. And they're expecting fire to come out of the heavens to burn up this sacrifice. So they start praying, they start praying louder and Elijah starts making fun. He's sitting over there in the shade under a tree and he just starts making fun. You guys aren't loud enough. Maybe your God's sleeping. So they start screaming louder and louder. Then they start cutting themselves and they're, and they're getting louder and they start dancing. They're beating their drums. They're getting louder and louder. And, and then Elijah says, maybe your God just went you know, on vacation. So maybe you need to you know, just get louder and maybe they'll send his, the messenger. So keep going, keep going. And then he gets a little crude and he says, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Not kidding. Go check it out. It's in the scriptures. 
Maybe, maybe your God is just, maybe he can't hear. So they keep, they keep going and they keep going all day long. And then Elijah says, at the end of the day, it's time. So they stop. He says, just for fun, go get three barrels of water. And why don't you dump it on the altar? So they dump one, then they dump two, and then they do what? They dump three. The water is filling the trenches. Now Elijah steps back. He says, boys, hang on. Then he prays a one sentence prayer and fire falls out of the sky and burns up the altar. There's no God stronger. Moses and Egypt and Pharaoh, each of the 10 plagues. What God was demonstrating is this. I'm stronger than frogs. You worship them. I'm stronger than gnats. You worship them. I'm stronger than locusts. You worship them. You worship the Nile River. I'll touch the Nile River. I'll cause it to be blood. God was saying to each of their things that they were worshiping and each of the things that they said were God's. He says, I am God. I am stronger. I'm more mighty. I can do what they cannot do. Your gods, you carved out of hands. You carved with your own hands. They can't hear you. They can't do anything about it. I'm the God who actually hears. And so what does he do? He even goes all the way after to the very end on the 10th plague. Pharaoh considered himself a God. He considered his firstborn son who would reign in his place as a God. And what does Yahweh do? He smites the firstborn saying, you've got nothing against me. You see this God that we're worshiping today, this Jesus, he is God. He is the mighty God. And whether you're depending on your finances or the economy or a new presidential candidate to get us out of this mess, whatever you are working on, whatever you're depending on, whether it's a spouse or maybe a future spouse, when you get that right guy, when you get that right girl, whatever you're depending on, can I just say they will fail you? Because this is the mighty God we're talking about and he does not play second fiddle to anybody. He is the great I am. He is the God Almighty. And he says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I demand and I should get worship. You see, there's no might and there's no power that we actually understand that even compares to this God. He's the one who created the oceans. He's the one who created just by speaking. And when Jesus was here on earth, he actually walked on water, not just in a little shallow piece of water. He walks out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and he walks on it and says, this is nothing, boys. This is nothing, And just for fun, when the disciples were getting nervous and getting scared, saying, oh my goodness, the waves are crashing in. I don't feel like I can survive anymore. And they're nervous. The fishermen were scared to death. Jesus steps into the boat and he just says what? Peace. And it's calm. You and I need to come back to the realization he's a mighty God. A mighty God. A big God. Whatever you're facing, He's a mighty God. There was a king in Britain. He was a Danish conquer, conquering king. His name was King Canut. He actually had conquered and his courts were filled with people who praised him over and over again. And one day he kind of was tired of the, the praise. So he asked for his throne to be taken out to 
the beach. He goes out to the beach and everybody follows. They follow out of the court. What is this king doing? What is he, what's up? What's, what's happening here? And so he sets, oh wait, get the throne a little closer. Get the throne a little closer. And he sets the, they have this throne set right on the beach. And he sets in his throne and everybody's kind of dumbfounded. Why in the world would a king this mighty have his throne by the beach? The waves came, the tide begins to roll in. And it gets higher and higher. And the water now begins to hit the throne. Then it gets a little higher and it begins to hit his feet. And at one moment, the king just yells, stop. Did the waves stop? Did they? Not even a chance. He yells it one more time. Stop. The waves didn't stop. Then he turns to everybody and he says, how small is the might of a king? And then he leaves. The power that you're depending on, the things that you are so thankful for that you are actually find your security in, whether it's your popularity, whether it's your job, whether it's your kids, your spouse, I don't, I, we can get, go on and on. How small of power that really is. It can be gone like this. This is the God of the universe who has all power. None can compare. And here's what it should cause us to do today. You ready? Two things. One, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who is now the leader, you have not repented of your sins and asked for forgiveness and you're not living for him. Here's what it should cause you to do. Today, it should cause you, when you hear how great and mighty this God is, it should cause you to say, wow, I want that. Because this great and mighty king actually does this. He extends an invitation to you and says, I love you, I care for you, I have enough grace and I will welcome you into my courts. I welcome you in and come on in. I will love you and I care for you. All you have to do is repent, ask for forgiveness and I'll be your leader the rest of your life. It's an incredible deal, isn't it? But here's a warning. You see, on the cross, on Jesus the wrath of God was poured out for sins of the world. On the cross, Jesus absorbed God's wrath, his full wrath. So you don't have to, but here's the reality. If you choose to walk out of here and you choose to say, I don't need that God, he doesn't scare me. Understand this, that for the rest of eternity, You choose on this side not to follow Jesus Christ and repent and ask him to be the leader of your life for the rest of eternity. You will have God's wrath poured out upon you in a place called hell. It's not designed for you, but the reality is, is this king who sits on this throne is a mighty God and he is a just God. And he will not allow sin to be unpunished. Sin must be punished. And the beautiful thing is this, Jesus paid for your sins. He absorbed God's wrath. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal savior, it starts with saying, I'm sorry, I repent. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, rose again. Jesus, I'm asking you now to be the leader of my life. For us, the rest of us who have already done that, there's been a point in time in which we prayed and we said, Jesus, that's what we want, we want you. Here's what it should cause us. When we see the mighty God, 
You ready for this? When we see the mighty God and how amazing he is, <laughs> it should cause us to want to worship. It should cause something inside of us to just say, God, I am amazed. My mind is blown. I can't even fathom how big you are, but God, I'm just amazed by you. And it should cause you and I to worship like never before. It doesn't even matter what you're going through because this God is stronger than what you're going through. Second Kings chapter six. There's a guy named Elijah, Elisha. Guy named Elisha. The king of Syria is coming after him. And Elisha's in a small town. His servant wakes up in the morning and goes out. And when he walks outside the door, he screams, Elisha, Elisha, come see. And they walk out and these two guys are looking at the city and all around on the hilltops are the king of Syria's chariots, horses, and armed men. It's a sight to behold. What power, what strength to step back and say, there's nothing we can do. We can't break through it. We can't get out of this. This trouble is too big for us. There's nothing we can do in our own human power. Have you ever been there? Where you look at your finances, you look at your job, you look at where you're at, you look at what's happening in your family, you look at what's going on in your life and you're just saying, there's nothing I can do. I'm truly stuck. Elisha kind of jokes and he says, don't worry. There's more on our side than there are on their side. What? Are you kidding me? Do you see the hillside? Maybe you miscounted. There's two of us and there's thousands of them. Maybe you missed it. They have horses, they have chariots. We can't outrun them. What are you talking about? And Elisha just simply says, God, would you open his eyes so he might see? And all of a sudden, the servant does what? He looks out. And yes, he sees the king of Syria's horses, the chariots, the armed men, but just above them, (laughs) you ready for this? He sees horses in the sky. He sees chariots of fire and angels riding in there. And he automatically sees, well, they're surrounded. The Syrians are actually surrounded by the heaven, the host of heaven's armies, his armies. Here's where I wanna end. I don't know where you're at today and I don't know what's going on in your life, but you have a mighty God. A mighty God who's bigger than your problems, who's bigger than your disease, who's bigger than what you're struggling through right now. You're looking for choices and decisions that have to be made for the upcoming year and you're nervous and you're scared. You have a mighty God who says, just come to me. I am bigger than all of that. I am big. And I just want to show off how big I am. Lord, help us to clearly see how mighty he is.